Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning and you are with Ra, Lyle and... Renee! Renee! Hello. How are you this morning? I am exceptionally well, Lyle. How are yes. you? See, this is what I've been waiting for ever since you joined Faith FM. <laughs> Renee is exceptional this morning. I am amazing this morning. Why are you exceptional this morning? I'm exceptional this morning because, well, last, a few weeks ago, I did say that, you know, I have a bit of car issues. I'm still getting it fixed and all yes. that. Yes. <laughs> well, um, I just have the... the Cars coolest. and kangaroos. <laughs> Indeed. Cars and kangaroos don't mix well. But I have a really cool friend who, who, who lent me her car this morning. So Nice. Like, I'm just grateful for the small things. Like, thank you. Thanks, friend. Thanks for letting me borrow your in, car. In some ways, you know, borrowing a car is not necessarily a small thing, really. Exactly. Often for people, that's the largest investment they've ever made. Yes. Yeah. And they're loaning you, they're handing you the keys to their biggest current investment. Exactly. You know, people that don't have, own a house or something like that is mm-hmm. often the most expensive. We're students, so absolutely it is. It is our biggest investment. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And you've lost your biggest investment. <laughs> oh, well. Somebody needs to come and fix. Somebody needs to put their hand up to fix Renee's car. It yeah. needs a new bonnet. It needs, it needs a new bumper. Yeah, it does. Uh, so somebody needs to help us out here. Need to get that little Fiat back on the road again. All right. Uh, what am I thinking? Okay, so I've been hanging out all week to share this one. I don't think I've shared this one yet. Oh, let's hear it. Last Sunday, mm-hmm. I met my great aunt. Yes. Now, this is a great aunt that I had no idea existed until I did a DNA test and suddenly my DNA said, oh, you've got a close match, a very close match. And so I contacted the, you know, through the, through the system and mm-hmm. her daughter replied to me. She's 93 years old. Wow. She still drives. Mm. So she's um, <laughs> sharp as a tack uh-huh. and full of stories, heaps of photos from back in the day. It was an amazing time. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so for some good news, um, there's a man in India called Lounge Bourja, and he was basically called a madman for so many years, but only recently people have turned their jeers into cheers. Oh, jeers into cheers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like it. <laughs> so I like people it. People were very uh, critical of him, and you're probably like, oh, I wonder why. Well, basically, um, he, uh, Lounge, he's a resident in India's drought blighted Gaia district. And so he had become more distraught over the years as uh, the the drought had been had been getting worse. And yes. he lives in a, in an area of farming, and he's a farmer himself. And even his own sons had left for greener pastures. And here he is in his district where he's been raised all his life. Um, and he's he he was determined not he was determined not to leave and to to achieve his dream. And his dream was to sort of find a way to irrigate the pastures and the land uh, his land. Right. And so he was, um, he wanted, he's actually, he's credited for single-handedly bringing water to his village in hopes to transform the barren land into an uh, into a- acreage. So he was inspired by the mountain man. Uh, this is a story of a man who, with a hammer and a chisel, spent 22 years carving a road through a mountain near a village uh, from 1960 to 1982. And so he a just, hammer and a chisel. A hammer and a chisel. A mountain road. That's what that man built. That is sensational. So Boyard was was uh, very – he set out, you know what, like this guy can do that. I can probably do something similar. He set out to dig out an irrigation, irrigation canal 
by hand to the closest water source in the hills, in the uh, Bangetha Hills. So he said that he had heard about this mountain man and he thought, if he can do it, why can't I? Yep, yep. Okay, so how far did he dig this irrigation channel? About three kilometres. That's not a bad effort. Yeah. How long did it take him? Uh, It actually took him quite... Quite long. It took him nearly 30 years to accomplish his goals. Oh, wow. <laughs> so this is a serious irrigation channel. This is not just like a ditch. Exactly. Exactly. It's not just a nice little, just like a, 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 a slim strip. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. not a ditch. It's a... It's a like a man-made... Like a canal. A canal. He He's dug a canal by hand. Yeah. And everyone thought he was mad because he worked on it for 30 years. And exactly. suddenly they have a river running through their village. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so his, his, he said that his villagers used to, used to call him a madman. This guy is crazy they used to tease him um and they and the reason why he chose this place to you know he, he chose a water source to, to to build a canal to his his land was because that was the closest water source of course sure. um and so despite the teasing from his family and his fellow villagers he's now 70 years old he toiled every day to make a four foot wide by three foot deep canal um it took him nearly 30 years to accomplish his goals but now everyone right now are benefiting from the fruit of his de- his decades long labor how long ago did he finish this because he's not a young man. No. Uh, actually, pretty recently, there is no exact date given in the, in the article. Um, I bet he's fit. <laughs> he actually is, yeah. There's, there's some pictures of him. I actually. wonder how much of it he had to carve through rock. Yeah. I mean, if it's just soft dirt yeah. or sand or something like that, it's not going to hold water. Mm-hmm. You've got to, if you're going to dig an irrigation canal, it's going to either have to be in clay or rock or yeah. lined with something. Yeah. So that doesn't collapse. So, you know, we sort of think, oh, yeah, you know, get out there with a shovel and start digging. I'll have it done in a year. No, no, this has got to actually hold water, carry water, and the water not soak and just vanish away. It's got to actually work. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot to think about, especially if he's got no help. (laughs) He's doing it by himself and he only, uh, he, he did it. Um, what do you call it? When like man made, he made him, you know, yeah. no pick no, and shovel, no machines, <laughs> pick and anything. shovel, pick and shovel. Um, he's 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 got a reputation in his neighbourhood as eccentric ever since, but it's been, he's been transformed into the local hero because of this. Um, and he was recently rewarded for his efforts with a brand new tractor, which will u- be used to expand the canal. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he's thinking, I wish I had this thirty years ago. <laughs> That's it. He's like, what? This existed, but uh, yeah. So, big congratulations and um, glad we can <laughs> see the hard work, uh, you, you know, having the fruits of your hard work. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Water is such an important thing, you know. When you stop and think about it, where would we be? How long do we live without water? You live about a day. Yeah. You know, in outback Australia, you've got about eight hours without water. Mm-hmm. You know, you can live a little bit longer in some of the... Um, closer areas, and you can live like a month or more without food, but you can't go more than a couple of days without, without water. water. And you, and these people moved. They moved. You move places because there's lack of water. It's a that's right. Cities, villages, towns, <laughs> people exist where there is water. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Interesting court case going to the High Court in Australia today. A uh, fellow by the name of Julian Gurner, who is a hotelier in Victoria, is claiming that the shutdown in Victoria was illegal based on an implied freedom of movement in the Australian Constitution. I think he's going to have a very, very uphill battle, but he has pulled out all stops to win this battle. He has hired Brett Walker, 
who was the guy who managed to get George Pell off. Uh, so, you know, pretty significant lawyer right there. Now, when you – and here's one of the challenges that we have in Australia. We assume a lot of rights and freedoms in Australia that we don't actually have. And the reason that we do so is because we're so closely connected to America, particularly through American TV. Hmm. You know, you even have people in Australia, for instance, when there's an emergency, they dial 911. In Australia, that's not the emergency number for Australia. That, but this is this goes to show the level of influence that Hollywood has had on Australia. And so we assume that we have freedom of movement. We assume that we have uh, freedom of speech. We assume that we have freedom of religion. These are American freedoms, not Australian ones. Now, the American story is a is a different story altogether. And if you want to know about the American story and how these. Uh, constitutional freedoms have been taken away in the United States. You need to be watching America and the end. Here in Australia, we've never had those. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, often when, you know, people have a protest and suddenly they get arrested, they're like, what's going on? We have the right to, you know, freedom of assembly. No, that's an American term. Uh, and so we've seen that in Victoria a lot, particularly with, uh, you know, Daniel Andrews, draconian uh, lockdown laws down there, which, you know, we, we all understand lockdown. We understand the necessary the necessity for quarantine and so forth. But Daniel Andrews has just proclaimed a war on churches down there, which has been just absolutely horrific. Anyway, uh, hotelier, I don't really have a whole lot of sympathy for hoteliers. Uh, they are selling alcohol. Alcohol is a poison. Alcohol kills you. Alcohol destroys families. It rips them apart. And so if you're going to be, you know, peddling that kind of death and destruction, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy, but at the same time, it will be interesting to see where this particular court case goes. Uh, what's also interesting about it is that uh, something very, very rare has happened in that uh, the accused, which is the Victorian government, has placed in a demurrer. What's that? That's where they put a document in that says, we agree with what happened to this person. Okay. And we take responsibility for it, but what we did was legal. So that's kind of unusual in a court case. You know, most people are like, no, not me. I didn't do it. You know, I'm innocent. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. Uh, let's see here. So that was um, – and now, if while we're on the subject of alcohol, we did talk about a uh, another um, hotelier up in – the Northern Territory in Alice Springs. And, of course, Northern Territory does have a massive alcohol problem. Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever going to deny that. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, there are a bunch of communities that have decided to become dry communities. And these guys are just absolutely my heroes. Mm -hmm. I, think that, um, the, I think that the Northern Territory should lead Australia in becoming Australia's first dry territory. Uh, that's the direction that they should be heading up there. But, okay, lockdown came, um, all the pubs and clubs were closed, and so one um, pub owner up there, by the man by the name of Tony Habib, decided that, well, he was just going to keep selling alcohol hmm. out of his taxi. Except that this is not an Uber or anything like that. This is a taxi owned by a taxi company, and it has a CCTV camera in it. So I'm not sure what he was thinking. He sold $17,000 worth of alcohol in several weeks out of the front seat of his taxi. He was um, selling cartons of beer for $250 a pop um, because, you know, people couldn't kind of buy it anywhere else. He was selling it to people who were known criminals, people who were known alcoholics, uh, and, you know, really just adding to the 
alcohol burden of Alice Springs. And this is a city that does have a very, very heavy alcohol toll attached to it. Yeah. And a city that desperately needs to become a dry community. Um, and so, yeah, he's gone to uh, – oh, and this is after. He's already been fined on several occasions. Oh, so this is not a first. No, this is not a first. Wow. In the past, before lockdown, he kept getting fined for serving alcohol pe- alcohol to people who were intoxicated. This guy does not care. <laughs> Well, I think he's going to care now, although, okay, repeat offender, um, like 250 offences, mm. they gave him a month's jail. That's just pretty lame. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, that's the magistrates that we have here in this country. Um, all right, so what else should we be looking at this morning? There's a bunch of smaller stories floating around the place. Uh, you've got Trump versus the Roman Catholics. This is interesting because so, Trump has um, supported, gained a lot of support from the Roman Catholic community in America because of his stand on abortion. And he has created a Supreme Court where nine, sorry, seven out of the nine judges are Catholic. So you would think that he would be getting a lot of love from the Catholics. Well, maybe not so much. Francis and Trump are pretty much on opposite pages on many kinds of issues. Mm. And they've got 2,000 nuns who have now signed an open letter to Trump to count the votes. Now, of course, Trump is saying we shouldn't be counting the votes because clearly they are being manipulated by the Democratic Party. Uh, They all head Trump's way until late in the counting and then they all swing away from him. Like, well, you know, we don't see swings like that, you know, on on normal occasions. So then it must be being manipulated. Mm. Well, there's probably other explanations for that, you know. Uh, postal votes being primarily Democrats and so forth. But we have to see the evidence before we can pass judgment on that. And, of course, wow, what a (laughs) knife-edge election. (laughs) If it does nothing else, it certainly vindicates uh, the election of four years ago when they said that he could not have possibly had the level of support that he did and so he must have uh, had it by... uh, uh, what should we say, by um, Russian intervention. Well, you don't need Russian intervention, it seems. Anyway, so that story is floating around. Uh, there's another story floating around coming out of Hillsong. They've just had to fire their um, their New York pastor for um, moral lapses. Ah, oh, okay. What does that mean? That means that he has... Moral lapses is well to put it put it bluntly, been sleeping around, oh. and a bit of a trap for people in ministry. It's not the first time we've heard this story, mm. and people in ministry need to be particularly aware and to have very very mm. good safeguards against mm. these kinds of uh, traps that they can so easily fall into. Uh, what else we got here? Okay, here's a story from history. It was on this day in 1943. The Vatican City was bombed. Oh, okay. Yes, it was actually an accident. Okay. So aeroplane flying over, yeah, dropped a bomb, uh, 1943, of course, this was uh, during the Second World War, and uh, landed bang smack in the middle of the Vatican. Um, Now, this was a bit of a no-no because while, yes, as the Allies, we were fighting against Italy, which was part of the Axis, the Vatican was supposedly neutral. Now, anybody who's ever read the book Hitler's Pope will know that the Vatican was far from neutral. And when the Second World War started, uh, the Vatican saw the opportunity to do something about some of their historic enemies, such as the Jews, the Orthodox Church, the mm-hmm. Anglican Church, and so forth. 
Yeah, not exactly neutral, but mm. um, that happened. Interesting. They got bombed by accident a long time ago. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, I know that uh, you've all been waiting for this one. Uh, it's been a while since we've had Dr. Paul Wood on the phone. And Dr. Paul Wood, of course, is our local friendly Faith FM GP who comes on and talks to us about all things health and lifestyle. Dr. Paul Wood, welcome to the show. Good morning, Wyatt. Now, I understand this morning we're talking about dementia. What is dementia? Yeah. So dementia is it's basically a, a clustering of symptoms that I guess a cardinal symptom would be the progressive loss of the cognitive function um, or your thinking abilities. But, um, it can also be associated with things like changes in behaviour and mood as well. Right. Now, I think we probably also, we're all fairly familiar with dementia and when we think about dementia, when you know the word dementia is mentioned, um, the first thing that goes through in my mind is elderly people losing their memory. Uh, mm-hmm. My grandmother suffered with dementia, sadly, for many, many years. I think it's probably affected most of our lives. Is dementia restricted to elderly people losing their memory, or is it more complicated than that? Yeah, so you definitely do see the prevalence of, of dementia increase as people get older. But um, occasionally, particularly some genetic uh, causes of dementia, you may see dementia occurring at younger ages, like even in your 50s, which is a scary thought. But generally speaking, the, the, the older the gener- older the population group, the, um, the higher the prevalence of dementia. Now, are there different kinds of dementia? Or is it all kind of the same thing? Yeah, so there's, there's four main types. There's actually more than four, but uh, four, four main types. Most common being Alzheimer's dementia, so that, that accounts for about 50 to 60 percent of cases of dementia. Um, then you've got Lewy body disease, which probably may not be so familiar to some of your listeners, but it's it's associated more with things like Parkinson's disease. And then you have um, frontotapal dementia, which affects things like your thinking abilities, but also um, personality, um, and vascular dementia, which is basically where the little arteries that supply your brain um, get blocked off gradually over time. So it's going to die off due to lack of lack of blood flow. And we mentioned that you know Alzheimer's, that's about 50, 50 to 60% of cases. Uh, the other ones that you've mentioned here, is there a particular order in which they come as as far as which ones are the most prevalent? Yeah, so the next most common one would be vascular dementia. And uh, you also see sometimes mixed patterns as well. So it's not necessarily purely Alzheimer's or purely vascular dementia. Sometimes you do see a combination of, or quite commonly see a combination of different um, different forms of dementia. Right. Now, um, just a, a, a quick question. I guess this one's a personal question. My, I mentioned earlier that my grandmother suffered with dementia for many, many years and she'd suffered her entire life with a stomach ulcer. She'd taken medication for that stomach ulcer and had been told that the medication would result in loss of memory at the end of her life. How much does medication have to do with, you know, because what she was told, that's what actually happened. But how much does medication actually have to do with um, the the prevalence of dementia that we see in our world today? Yeah, look, not a huge amount. It, it's it's carefully the lifestyle that we're discovering now. Um, I guess various things have been explored over time, like medications, like um, aluminium, for example. You know, people were concerned about eating and using aluminium cookware, um, but um, what, we're, what we're learning now is it's largely a, a lifestyle-related disease process. Um, and when it comes to preventing the process, you know, lifestyle factors is, is the major consideration. 
that um, it's certainly not for us that the questions have been having indicated at times, like the productivity um, reflux. But um, yeah, any, any potential role of those is fairly, fairly minimal. Now, we've seen in recent times um, lifestyle, lifestyle diseases, you know, pretty much across the board as our world has become more affluent. Uh, the big threats have gone from being communicable diseases to lifestyle diseases, particularly in affluent countries. Do we see an increase in the prevalence of dementia in recent years, or is this something that's just sort of always been there, you know, throughout history? Yeah, it's actually on the rise in terms of prevalence. So I, I guess there's a few factors playing into that. One is we have an aged population, um, so. So people having good children, um, people also living longer. So the longer you live, the higher chances of actually developing um, dementia. But um, particularly in some of the developing countries, we are, we're seeing rising rates of things like diabetes and things like heart disease. And we're also starting to see um, rising rates of dementia as well. Um, that's presuming that people live long enough to experience it. Um, there has been some concern about you know decreasing life expectancies due to some of these diseases. But if people live long enough and they have diabetes or heart disease, certainly the risk of dementia does go up. Now, what about uh, genetics? Like I mentioned earlier, my grandmother had dementia, and you know she was told that she would have that because of the medication that she was taking, and that's what happened. But you know. Am I in danger of getting dementia because one of my relatives have, has has had dementia? Is this a genetic issue? Yeah, so genetic cases are about 5% of cases. And I guess the earlier the relative was who was diagnosed with, with dementia, the, the more concerning might be, and there's some tests that can be done to um, check that out some more, to um, usually to genetic um, counsellors. But um, the average person, probably like yourself, Lyle, um, you probably know how it's been Um So, not many cases are, are probably due to a combination of genes and environments. And um, sometimes you think about genes as what cocks the gun and lifestyles, what pulls the trigger. So, it, even though there may be a slightly increased risk of dementia because of family history, um, lifestyle is, is some, a, a, a major factor in, in, in a lot of this. Right, so we can have that gun uh, cocked and ready to go off, but if nobody ever pulls the trigger, then you're not going to be in trouble. And so if we can do something about our lifestyle, we might have a genetic predisposition to something, but it, uh, it, you know, provided we don't pull that trigger, we should be in fine shape. Yeah, and, and look, we know that at least 40% of cases of dementia can be prevented if we, um, if we just avoid some of those modifiable factors. Okay, so... F- that, that's a big stat right there. So 40% of cases of dementia can be prevented. Now, dementia is a, a rather scary kind of um, disease. And I guess one of the reasons that you know we find it so scary is that people can have this disease for a very, very long period of time, can't they? That's right. Yeah, it can be just very, obviously very subtle in the early process. Um when it becomes more progressive, obviously it becomes more obvious that um, often at least these people sort of, or relatives are just picking up on little subtle things and asking questions until it becomes more thick cut and that's when they usually end up at their GP um, asking the question, you know, could I have, could I have dementia? Sure. Okay, now we talked about uh, 40% of it can be uh, prevented, so let's let's now talk about preventing it. 
obviously we all want to prevent it. What are some of the risk factors, the, the major risk factors that we can do something about that uh, will help prevent dementia? Yeah, so a couple of big ones. Uh, one is trying to avoid diabetes, and um, that's, that's been associated with a doubling of the risk of, of developing dementia. Um, other, other factors like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, obesity also claim to increase the risk of dementia. Um, traumatic brain injury. So we, we do see, for example, when people have had multiple head injuries, um, take boxes, for example, they do have higher rates of, of developing dementia due to that repetitive brain injury. Um, depression, which is a, a, an increasingly common problem. Um, this is, this can actually be a risk factor for depression as well. And, um, it, it seems that one factor that might play a role is people with depression tend to have fairly high cortisol levels. And cortisol is a, is a stress hormone, which isn't so good when it comes to, um, to cognitive health. So people who experience depression, particularly in older age, we would like to encourage them to have that treatment um, problem and um, fairly aggressively just to affect the prolonged pressure on your, on your cognition. Other factors would include um, physical inactivity, um, smoking, which um, ups risk by, by 70%, um, excessive alcohol consumption, um, a diet high in saturated fat, and um, lacking things like fruits and vegetables. Another interesting thing that's been found to be associated with um, increased dementia risk is, is low educational attainment. So dropping out of school early, um, it seems does increase risk of, of dementia somewhat. That's Another an, one too, that's an interesting is, yeah. one right there. I'll just comment on that. I mean, hey, I did seven years of school, so that um, doesn't bode well for me for uh, for skipping out on uh, on dementia. But one of the things that sort of comes to my mind right there is that there are different forms of education, and it seems that, you know, are we talking about the the, the principle of if you don't use it, you lose it? Yeah, that, that, that does seem to be the case. And... Um Certainly, some of the things that help with, with preventing dementia or, or delaying the diagnosis in older age is, is really using it um, and, and, and using different parts of the brain as well. Um, often, people sort of think about things like Sudoku or doing crosswords is a way to avoid dementia. But, um, that's just using one part of the brain. Exposing yourself to a whole different variety of different learning environments or different learning experiences does seem to be very, very helpful uh, when it comes to preventing dementia. Right. Okay, so new life goal right there. Once I reach retirement, I'm going to uh, start my. Uh, I'll go and do a, a master's or a PhD or something or other. I might even become a doctor like you, Doctor uh, Paul Wood. Very <laughs> well. All right, a couple of other things really quickly. Um, I think you had um, a couple of other things that you were about to mention in relationship to risk factors. Yeah, um, social isolation as well. So, so loneliness, we, we, I think we talked about this last month as being a, a risk factor for heart disease, but um, also plays a role with um, increased risk of dementia. So, I mean, you might have noticed that some of these risk factors, in fact, many of them are, are, are linked to increased risk of heart disease. So it's actually been said that what's good for the heart is actually good for the brain. So if you're caring for your heart well, um, by default, you're also helping to, to care for your brain and help low risk of dementia. And social isolation is one of the easiest ones to solve because the simple reality is that I think in basically every town or city in Australia there's a church, head along to a church somewhere, social isolation is solved because you're going to find a group of people that actually really want you to be there regardless of who you are, which is what I love about churches. And uh, if you want to find a good church, that uh, just give us a call here. We'll soon connect you with um, with somebody. Um, 
Yeah, it's an interesting one. Well, I actually looked into the research behind um, remidoxacine and uh, Dementia as well. Um, and there's been a few studies suggesting that, um, that faith or, or, or practicing faith does may, may protect against um, dementia somewhat. And it's one of the reasons, so, is that when you're sort of getting together and you're exploring things like um, various sort of religious themes, um, it does involve higher order thinking. Um, and obviously, there's the social aspect as well, as you, as you mentioned. And it amazes me because both Renee and I have done, you know, a lot of community uh, outreach at various times and you, you meet people, you know, at their doors or wherever it might be and there are so many lonely people in the world that would love to be a part of a social community where they could sit down and talk with people and there's a church just down the road and it's like, why are you lonely? There's a, there's a solution here that is so easy. So I just want to encourage our listeners this morning to... Uh, to get out and, um, yeah, find your local church or give us a call here and we'll help you find one. Um, all right, very quickly, um, how do we either stop or slow down uh, the path to dementia? Yeah, so as we talked about, take care of your heart. But this, this is a really big one, and that is to engage in regular physical activity. And uh, what's fascinating about that is there's a chemical that gets released in the brain called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And um, this particular chemical goes up with exercise, and it's actually a bit like fertilizer for brain cells. So this, this chemical has been associated with actually helping to grow new brain cells, even in old age, and also help with developing new um, neuronal connections in the brain. Uh, they've actually done research that shows that people who engage in regular physical activity as they get older tend to experience increases in brain size, particularly in the hippocampus of the um, brain, which is involved in memory. Uh, whereas what normally happens as you age is your brain tends to shrink. Um, so that's quite an exciting bit of research to, um, to understand the benefits of physical activity to help with um, brain development. Um, and, and don't smoke a while, as we talked about. That's a big, big factor. Um, and uh, eat that sort of healthy Mediterranean-style diet and remain cognitively active. In fact, some of you listeners who, who might wish to sort of do a bit more uh, learning about dementia and things they can do to prevent dementia, there's actually a great program that's offered for free from the, um, the Wicking Dementia Centre in um, Tasmania. So um, if, if listeners just Google that, they can jump online and, and do this free course which um, will help them learn more about dementia and how to prevent it. Fantastic. Dr. Paul Wood, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us here this morning to talk about something that I think affects every single one of us at some point in our lives, either with ourselves or our family. And it's good to hear that there are so many good things that we can do to prevent that. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.